Father, we thank You for this time together today. and Lord, as we worship You, as we sing of how marvelous Your grace and sovereignty is, Lord, we say thank You. And Lord, we remember, we remember that every good thing comes from Your hand. Lord, we recognize that though we may sometimes feel forgotten and forsaken, You are there. You are walking with us through the valleys of the shadow of death. We need not fear evil, for You are with us. God, I pray this morning that You would speak to each one that is here. Lord, as so many today have experienced or even experiencing right now domestic problems, economic problems, social problems, spiritual problems. God, I pray that You would speak words of life today, that You would give us eyes and ears that are ready to receive, that You would give us sensitivity of heart as we cry out to You, that Your Word, as it returns void, God, only when, Father, we turn a hardened heart to You, it continues in the power and the manifestation of its truth to go forward. God, I pray that we would hear it so that we would not allow the truth that is resonating and speaking and pouring over us today, God, the Lord, to fall upon deaf ears. I thank You, Lord, that You are speaking, that You are moving, and that You desire to transform our hearts today. So, Lord, for those who feel there is no hope, who have become hardened, who have nearly given up, whom a root of bitterness has set in, I pray that You would revive them today. For those who don't know You, I pray that You draw them by the power of Your Holy Spirit. And we will give You the praise and the glory. Amen. We'll be in Genesis chapter 40. If you would, turn your attention to the screen. for the future. Maybe some of you feel like I'm just waiting for the future. Waiting 
till my bank account goes up, waiting till my retirement recovers, waiting till I can get this next job, waiting for my kids to grow up, waiting for my husband to grow up, waiting for whatever to occur. And I'm just trying to just weather this storm right now. Joseph has some great principles for us to learn when we're waiting in the pit. I know for me, as a matter of fact, you people don't like to wait. And I like to not wait more than you, okay? I don't know that there's anybody that hates waiting more than me. That's not something I'm proud of. It's not a good trait. Uh, it's kind of masculine, but it's kind of out of control. And God constantly confronts me with my spirit of wanting to move ahead and get things done and just keep going. And sometimes it's hard for me to just sit still and know that He is God. I hate to wait. Matter of fact, I am so bad about waiting that I literally... I had a great doctor. I loved him. He was great. But I had to wait like an hour, an hour and a half to see him. So I switched doctors to another doctor that was always available. I'm sure, uh, you know, reasonably, the quality probably isn't good, but I don't have to wait in line anymore. I can just go in and get out. Okay? And I just think that's such a premium that I'm willing to give up my health in order to get out of that doctor's system. Okay? Because I'd hate to wait. I hate waiting on the roads like 407. I live in Lantana, and 407 has been so bad, I've just been cutting through Double Oak and coming this way. And now they're working on 1171, and it's driving me crazy. I'm trying to think of ways to get around, and so I'm going all the way around, and then I realize other people are going, and then I still have to wait, and that aggravates me. So I'm thinking in my mind, could I get like 500 people together in Lantana, and let's rent a helicopter. I'm trying to think of how can I get out of the position of having to wait. So many of us are like that. And so many of us think when we're waiting, it's simply wasting time. And sometimes that can be true, particularly if you're in the driver's license place or someplace like that. Sometimes waiting is maybe a waste of time, but the real truth of it is, is often in our life, God has us in spots where we're kind of on hold. It's kind of like when we are trying to get on the phone to talk to somebody and we get placed on hold. None of us like that. None of us really listen to the message that's there when we're on hold. And it just kind of aggravates me that you're trying to sell me something while I'm on hold. Matter of fact, I think I'll just hit the speaker phone and walk away. The problem is, is when we start to try to do that spiritually, it really doesn't work. God, I'm just going to put, if you're going to put me on hold, I'm going to put you on hold, and I'm going to go do my life, and when you're ready to bless me and ready to restore me to where I belong, I'll get with you then. Until then, I'm taking my own path. Ever feel that way? Ever done that? Maybe you're there today. I look at the life of Joseph, and if anyone ever felt that way or thought that that might be a good idea, I would think it would be Joseph. I mean, Joseph has already been through the test of attacks or mistreatment. He's been mistreated by his brothers, sold into slavery because of their jealousy, because he's given them a vision of what God has given him for the future. Then later on, we see him go through the test of temptation, the temptation of the flesh. It's Potiphar's wife. you got to realize, it's not like Joe had a lot of dates. I mean, he's working in this house as a slave. So it's not like he's going out and meeting people at this point. He's a young man, 18, 19, early 20s. And here he is at Potiphar's house. 
And this probably attractive woman daily comes at him and tempts him. But he's resisted the temptation of the flesh. He's passed that test. Then we find him in this test, the test of faithfulness. Here I am uh, because of my faithfulness. I've been thrown in a pit. I've been sold into slavery. I've been placed in Potiphar's house. I've risen to the top. But then again, because of my faithfulness to God and to the sanctity of marriage, I find myself in prison. And now he's in the test of patience. Maybe even the test of doubt. Wondering, did I miss something? Did I miss something God was doing? Did He not give me a vision? Did He not give me a purpose? Did I miss it? But God will speak to Joseph in some small ways to remind him that He is there. Maybe you're there. Maybe you feel mistreated from circumstances in life. Maybe at work. Maybe at home from your family. Maybe from friends. Maybe from people who don't really know you, who've mistreated you or attacked you. You know, Joseph was just like us. He could respond in three different ways if he had wanted to. Three negative ways. First of all, he could have just gotten bitter. God, I've tried your way. I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to be righteous. And I found myself in a pit. I found myself in slavery. And now I find myself in jail. God, what is it that you want? I've tried to be faithful, but now I'm just getting bitter. I'm just getting angry. You know, that is a message for the enemy that is yelled loud and clear when we're in those times. Get bitter. Get mad. You deserve it. And start thinking about why everybody else got what they needed. Everybody else is taken care of and you've been abandoned. The Bible tells us in John 10.10 that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I think the primary way he wants to do that in a believer's life is for them to just get angry and bitter and jealous. And just drive that knife into them. Where they can't take our salvation, but he can sure strip us of our joy if we give it to them. Or maybe... Sometimes you feel like, I just need to manipulate the circumstance. I need to manipulate people. I mean, that's why I'm here in this place, because others did me wrong. Or because I wasn't a little more aggressive. I didn't blur the lines, and I didn't cross lines. I'll tell you what, from this point on, I don't care about anybody else, but as far as me, I'm going to get ahead. No matter what it costs somebody else, no matter what I have to do, I'll manipulate. While others might just say, you know what, forget it. I tried God, it didn't work. God, I tried your way, and look where it has gotten me. Nowhere good, I'll tell you that. Interesting. Chapter 39, verse 20 tells us that Joseph's master took him and put him in prison in the place where the king's prisons were. And while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him in chapter 39 and showed kindness favor in his eyes toward the prison warden. It's interesting, Joseph finds himself in prison. I got to thinking about that. I mean, prison isn't really supposed to be for us as believers if we're really following Christ. Isn't God supposed to protect us from things like that? But as you look at Scripture, you see uh, Micah, Hananiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, great men of the Old Testament, men in the New Testament, See Peter, James, 
Barnabas, Paul, John, Jesus, all find themselves in prison because of their faithfulness. Maybe sometimes when we end up in prison, it's not that we've done something wrong, it's that God's trying to do something right. Maybe He's preparing us. Maybe it's not a literal prison. Maybe you feel like you're in some type of prison now. And you're wondering, has God forgotten me? Joseph understood that thought. He understood that doubt. Let's read his story in chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime later, indicating to us that he's been in prison for a while at this point. Joseph is probably 28, 29 years old. Got thrown in the pit when he's 17, so 11, 12 years. He's been in this situation. Things have not turned. Wondering, perhaps, how will I ever be delivered? How will God ever use me? Then the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. We see that the cupbearer and the baker have somehow, so to speak, sinned. They've missed the mark. They've offended They've done something to lose favor with the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh was angry with the two officials and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Now, if you'll remember, we said that Potiphar was in charge of the security for Egypt. He was probably kind of, lack of a better term, the head of the FBI, if you want to call it that, or kind of the chief personnel law enforcement official. So this guy probably works under him, so he probably has put a good word in for Joseph. Potiphar may even realize that his wife has lied and Joseph has been put in this place unfairly. But whatever the reason, Joseph is now in charge of the other prisoners. He's at the top of the prison system, but still a slave to the prison. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. After they had been in custody some time, each of the two men and the cupbearer and the baker and the king of Egypt who were being held in the prison had a dream that night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came up the next morning, he saw they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? And they said, We both had dreams, they answered, but no one is here to interpret them. Now, a couple of things that are interesting. First of all, in order to have credibility as someone who can interpret dreams, you had to do more than one. You had to have at least two that you had correctly interpreted. And so Joseph is placed in a situation where there are two people who have dreams, and he is able to correctly interpret both of them, given the opportunity to do both of them. Secondly, we see dreams used as a method of how God speaks, particularly in the Old Testament. Uh, of course, we know the story of Jacob, who would have been Joseph's grandfather, who had been given the vision of the angels running up and down the stairs to heaven. Uh, there are several other visions and several other dreams, but there were different types. Now, one type of dream uh, was that that we see right here, a prophetic dream. And a prophetic dream simply means that it's a dream that needs interpretation. In other words, you have this dream and they didn't know what it meant. Now, we see that occurring here with Joseph, and then later on we'll see it happening uh, with Daniel as he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So the Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar both have these dreams. They don't understand what these visions are. They need someone to interpret. 
So Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and here Joseph will interpret not only the Pharaoh's dream, but he now will interpret the baker and the cupbearer's dream. Another type of dream sometimes that we see in Scripture are dreams of warning or information. Now, we see that happening in, earlier in Genesis, Genesis with Abimelech. If you remember that story, Abraham is afraid Abimelech will take everything that he has and dispose of him. So he tells Abimelech that his wife is actually his sister. And so Abimelech has plans to marry her and take her. But then God gives Abimelech a dream and says, don't do that. The man you are, or the woman you're considering is already married. She's married to Abraham. And so she receives that warning and that there's certainly going to be high consequences if you go ahead. So there was a warning. Probably the most popular warning we see in Scripture is with Mary and Joseph. Remember the story of how the angel comes and God speaks at night to Mary and Joseph and tells them that uh, you need to get up and flee to where? Egypt, ironically. Uh, because Herod is going to seek to kill the boy, seek to kill the baby. So we see prophetic dreams. Sometimes we see dreams that are warring of information. But also sometimes there are dreams we just have because we worry too much. If you look in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3, it says many dreams come because of your much worry. Uh, Solomon speaking there. So sometimes people just worry about things, think about things too much, and they have bad dreams, okay? So not every dream we have is directly from God. Matter of fact, even in Deuteronomy, we see where sometimes people had dreams that were just false dreams. They were trying to mislead people. So not every dream we have can we say that's from God. Matter of fact, usually it doesn't probably work that way in, uh, in our economy today. But God certainly did that in the past, not saying that He couldn't today, but there are several things in Scripture that would certainly have to line up, and we would want to get also... Uh, some good godly counsel. Most of the time, for us today, it's just because of our worries or because of our desires that we have a lot of the dreams that we have. But in this time where there was no written Word of God, God would often speak in that manner. And in this particular instance, He would interpret through one of His servants. So that's what's happening with Joseph. We see that there are two dreams that give him credibility, and we see it's a prophetic dream that only a man of God is going to be able to interpret. We move on, and Joseph says to them, when they say there's no one to interpret in verse 8, Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God, Elohim, the one and true God. You probably worship multiple gods here in Egypt. You're polytheistic, many gods, but there is one God. Do not interpretations belong to Him. Tell me your dream. Confidently, He lets them know that by the power of God, He can interpret these dreams. So tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. And soon it budded, it blossomed, and the clusters of, its clusters of grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. And Joseph said, this is what it means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, and just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews 
And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. You know, I love Joseph. He's been in prison for a while, we know, and it's been a difficult circumstance, and he's probably wondered, God, are you still there? And then God gives him the opportunity to interpret a couple of dreams. Now, never forget that one of the reasons he's here is because he interpreted a dream to begin with. That's how he got in the pit to start. So, you know, there might be some part of him thinking, you know, I'm not even getting into that. I mean, look where it's gotten me so far. But he still believes that God has spoken. He still believes in God Almighty. And he tells the two prisoners here to tell him the dream. And so he interprets them. And what's interesting is, after he interprets it, he's so confident. He knows that this is what's going to occur. He feels like God has spoken that he tells the cupbearer, remember me in three days when you go before the king and tell them to release me, for I've certainly done nothing to deserve this. Interesting. You know what I think Joseph's doing right here? He's doing what I, you've heard me quote Oswald Chambers several times before. My favorite quote from Oswald Chambers is this. Faith is doing everything you honestly and ethically can do and trusting the rest to God. In other words, it's not just sitting and waiting. It's waiting and doing what you can, but trusting God with what you cannot do. Joseph realized, I can speak a word here. I, can, I know what's going to happen. I've just spoken truth. I'm going to ask for favor. And maybe this is how God will do it. So there's nothing unethical. There's nothing wrong. There's not a lack of faith in my opinion. He speaks this word and, and asks that he simply be remembered. But we know how this goes. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had been given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. And on my head, there were three baskets of bread. And in the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And Joseph said, this is what this means. Now, if you, God has given Joseph a word. He's given him an interpretation. And this man has asked for it. If, if you've ever wondered if you should be honest about God's word and about what he says, here's a good example. I mean, most of us, you know, I'm thinking, if that guy asked me, you know what? Uh, well, I didn't really get that one. Let me sleep on that one a while. Let's sleep a couple of days. I mean, I don't know that I would wanted to wanted to have told him this, but this word has come from God, and so he speaks it to him. He says, here's the deal. You're going to die. And not only that, they're going to hang you up on a tree, and the birds are going to come pick your flesh. I mean, he just gives him the whole ball right there. Now, we don't know that he that maybe he didn't say this in a sweet voice. But we know this. It sure wasn't good news. But yet he shared the truth. He continues on. Verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And on the birthday of Pharaoh, it was common and customary for some people to be released. He would free some prisoners and evidently he would kill some others because that's exactly what happens here. So it's his birthday. He gave a feast for all his officials, and he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. And then verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. 
He forgot him. Joe has responded to his situation with faithfulness. He's even been helpful to others and served them, helped them to see their dreams. And he sees God's hand probably in that instance, but now the Bible tells us that he has been forgotten. Maybe you can relate to a time where you felt forgotten. There's a guy named Christian Rieger who was a pastor during the Second World War in Germany. He was a contemporary of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the great theologian who was martyred for his faith. And Christian, in his, in his church, he was pastoring his church, and the Gestapo began to uh, look for people who spoke out against Nazi German, Germany, and certainly Bonhoeffer had done that, and uh, Christian Rieger had done that. But they be- began to try to be just a little bit more covert, but... Christian's organist turned him into the Gestapo. That's why we don't have an organist here at our church, because of things like that. But nevertheless, he turned him in, and he was taken to one of the worst concentration camps you could go. It was called um, Dachau, the Dachau concentration camp. And many were killed and gassed there. It was a terrible place to go. And Christian Rieger sent there, and he gets there, and uh, he sees people that have been beaten, electrocuted, and he'd been there about a month. And for the first three or four months, they, would re- they were allowed to get one letter per month from the outside. And his wife had sent him a letter after he'd been there 30 days, and he got that letter. And on that letter, it assured him of, of their prayers and their love for him, and their children were doing fine. And then she gave him this verse. It says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 26. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against His Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, were the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all Boldness. Christian Rieger said, I read that verse because I had smuggled a little New Testament in, but it really didn't do a lot for me, to be honest with you, because in about an hour, I was supposed to go to my interrogation with the SS. And he goes, it was a time we all dreaded. For many people come back beaten. Sometimes people would die from the torture. And what they were going to do, they were going to ask me for names of other Christians and others who were not being completely loyal to the Nazi regime, and I was so afraid. They came and they they got me and they took me, and as I was walking, I was wondering, God, where are you? Is there a loving God who cares? I got to to the little holding tank before I went in, and there was another pastor who I really didn't know except by name who was there. As he walked out, he slipped something into my coat pocket. I didn't even reach to see what it was because the soldiers then came and took me into the room. It went for about an hour, and it ended up not being as bad as I thought. They roughed me up a little bit and yelled and screamed, but it was much better than I had anticipated. So on my way back to the barracks, I recognized that he had placed a matchbox in my pocket. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, that is so wonderful, because matches were a premium in this death camp, and they were hard to come by. When he got into his bed, he reached in and pulled the matchbox out, and he looked at it, and there was 
a little passage of Scripture written. And you know what it was? It was Acts chapter 4, verse 26 through 28. That same passage I just read from my wife. And I realized at that moment that God was there, that He was speaking. It was small, but it gave me the courage to move on for the next two years because I realized God knew exactly where I was, that He had not forgotten me. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, my contention is not that God does not speak today, but that we rarely listen, that we are afraid to wait and to be still before Him. I think He's speaking each day, certainly through His Word and sometimes through the small things in life. But if we are in such an intense rush that we can't be still and know that He is God, we miss it. There's some principles from this story I believe that it's important that we glean. First of all, sometimes it's going to look like that evil has won. I'm sure Christian Rieger thought that. I'm sure that Joseph sometimes thought evil has won. Look, as the psalmist speak, as the wicked prosper, the Egyptians prosper. This cupbearer has left. It seems like everyone is doing well but me. It doesn't mean God is not in control. Sometimes God's timing usually doesn't coincide with our comfort. His timing usually doesn't coincide with our comfort. In an environment, in a culture where we put a premium on comfort, God puts a premium on transformation. And often He has to move us from our comfort zones to get our attention. In the pit of life, what you associate with most intimately is a definition of what your real God is. When those struggles and those pains, when those separations and those heartaches come, what is it that you draw to? Is it a television? Is it a substance? Is it an escape? Or do you seek the living God? Though people may forget you, God always remembers that last verse, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Though others may forget you, God always remembers. In this, God's purposes will always ultimately occur. God redeems everything. God can redeem anything. It doesn't matter. Joseph has been through the test of wrongful treatment, of temptation of the flesh, of the test of his faithfulness, and now the test of patience. Maybe you're here this morning and you're experiencing the trials of domestic issues, social issues, economic issues, spiritual issues. Can I tell you, God is speaking. And He wants you to come to Him with your face before Him and seek His heart. He wants you to engage Him and to commit your life and devote your life. You say, God, here I am. I'm yours. Some of you need to come and trust Him as your Savior. Some of you need to say, God, here I am. Use me. Take me. Renew me. Restore me. Nancy Ortberg tells a story of when she was a nurse. And sometimes she said we had to work with amputees. And I remember reading my charts on this young girl who was 14 years old who had just been in a motorcycle accident and she had lost her leg. 
She's only 14, so I was preparing myself before I went in the room, and she was actually uh, in our uh, in a room where we had a whirlpool, and so she was sitting in that whirlpool. And when I walked in, we began to talk. She kind of went through uh, a couple of days before how she had the accident and how she had lost her leg, and she shared with me that she was a believer. And then she said this, and I'll never forget it. She said, but look how much I have left. The doctor told me that if I had lost my leg up here, then it would have been difficult to get a prosthesis, and I, I, I might not have been able to walk properly and go back to school. I may have had to go to a wheelchair, but they were able to save my leg down from, from the, underneath the knee, and look how much I got left. She was excited about it, but not in a Pollyanna, you know, kind of yippy-skippy, I don't realize I've really lost a leg, everything will be fine. She realized that she was going to have to get a prosthesis. She realized that she would never have that leg back. But she was thankful for what she did have left. Let me tell you, my friend, that's a good word for us today. Let me ask you this question. Do you realize what you have left? Maybe you're here this morning and you've lost a relationship. Maybe you've lost a loved one. You've lost a job. You've lost money. You've lost friends. But look what you have left. What about it? Do you realize that? Do you realize the favor that God has given you? Do you realize the salvation you've been given? Do you realize what you have? Satan wants you to just focus on that corner and become consumed with it. But God has life. And He has abundant life still in the future. And while you're waiting right now, notice what you have left. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for the life of Joseph. Thank You for a picture of a man who lost everything but yet remained faithful. Thank You for a man who was able to see what he had left. I pray that You would open our eyes and help us to see what we have left as we go through the trials of life. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with the loss or the disillusionment of a relationship, Lord, who are worried and concerned about the economics, work, children, spouses, parents. God, I pray that we would put those things that we can do nothing about in Your hands and trust You and realize what we have left and be grateful and take care of what we do have and trust You with what we cannot. Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know You, I pray that You would bring them today. And for those who are losing hope, restore them today. Let them be willing to take that step and come in and receive prayer and accountability and encouragement and begin again. In Your name I pray.